And praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, there's something mighty special taking place right here tonight. And I appreciate what God is doing right now. Aren't you thrilled to be alive at this very special moment in spiritual history? When God is doing so many wonderful, marvelous things. I appreciate so very much. What a special blessing tonight to see what God has done for Pastor Howard and Pastor Lane. It's a great thing God's doing. And I would just like to say in my opening remarks here that without a doubt, Pastor Dean is the man. You got to get that right now. You don't say he is the man. No, it's the man. It's the man. He is the man. The message we heard him preach last night was absolutely remarkable. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for that great word we heard last night? I want to commend the camaraderie, the unity, the hunger, the anticipation, the exhilaration that is manifested in this conglomerate group of apostolic men who are gathered here tonight. This is a highly ignitable atmosphere that will not only bless what happens on these grounds, but it's going to flow back to every local church that's represented here, and revival is going to be the result. Clap your hands if you want to carry revival back to your church. I give honor to Brother Tenney tonight, who, of course, is a legend. And I highly esteem him and appreciate the marvelous word of the Lord that ever flows out of his lips from his heart. He is an ever-flowing fountain of spiritual truths. He has a verse of Scripture for everything. There is a word for everything. And... Uh, I could take a lot of time tonight, but I will not do that. We'll dive right into the word of the Lord. I give honor to Brother Kevin Cox, wonderful man of God, great Christian, and I know he's doing you an outstanding job as your district secretary. There are so many folks that I should speak in reference to that are in this room tonight because I am a debtor to so very many of you. Your friendship, your kindness, your encouragement, this is a great fellowship, the United Pentecostal Church. And I appreciate the privilege of being a part of it tonight. But for the sake of the consideration of your time and the responsibility of the Word, I would ask you to allow me to get straight to the Word of God. I do want to say as you turn to 2 Kings chapter 5 that I appreciate Pastor Anthony Mangan and the kindness that he has shown to all of us and the friendship that he has granted unto us and the way God has used him to be a blessing to so many people in so many places. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Second Kings chapter 5. I don't know how many missionaries may be here tonight, 
I do know that Brother Prince Matthias is here because I saw him this afternoon. And may God bless him and the great work that he is doing for the Lord. 2 Kings chapter number 5 and verse number 9. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse number 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go, and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. And Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God. Strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpa rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then... When he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. The key word tonight for our point of reference and emphasis is the fact that the Bible speaks in 13 of 2 Kings 5. His servants. And then in 15 of 2 Kings 5, Naaman identifies himself as the servant of the prophet of God. I want to preach to we men tonight this point of interest and emphasis. Servants see the miracles. Servants see the miracles. Here's what I want you to understand right now, and I want you to say it with me after that I say it. There is a miracle in the making if we don't mess it up. Turn around and shove your neighbor and say, don't mess this up. miracle power in this tabernacle tonight you may be seated I feel that we stand on synonymous ground with this great man of the Old Testament Naaman we are paralleled in prophecy and pinpointed in spiritual unction 
with him tonight. The miracle that God granted to him was something of dynamic magnitude. It was such magnitude that hundreds of years later, Christ would say that in the days of the Old Testament writing, there were many lepers in Israel and none of them had a prophet sent to them. Only Naaman. So Jesus emphasized that what happened here was of great significance because he referred to it hundreds of years later. I believe God has a miracle for us tonight that will not be referred to just next month, next year, or ten years, but in eternity while somebody is walking down that street of gold, they will speak of the miracle that God has wrought. And in this story, there is so much more than just the cleansing of the leper. There is always more in the midst of God's power than we began to realize. There is so much more in this house tonight than we have yet began to touch. But I want it. I said, I want it. We need to go beyond being brill cream Christians where just a little dab will do you. Somebody needs to get on their feet and say, but we gotta have more. But we gotta have more. Let me show you quickly. The Bible said there was a miraculous restoration. For the scripture said his flesh came again. Sounds like what's happening at men's conference 2001. Something is coming back to us. We came here to get something back. Some of you came here looking for a new touch. You got it back. Some came for a new vision. You got it back. Some had lost your shout, but I can tell now you got it back. It's a miracle of restoration. He also said, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel he had a miraculous revelation if you understand and know that Jesus is not Jehovah Junior you've got a miraculous revelation I said it's time to get the dust off that revelation and understand that when you know who he is, you're going to do great exploits in his name because you know who he is. The people that do know their God shall be, shall be, shall be, and they shall do exploits. The third miracle was a miraculous dedication. Because Naaman said, 
I will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto any other gods, but unto the Lord. After being here, I will never again worship any false gods. There is entirely too much idolatry in the apostolic church. It's time for us to put down every idol God in our lives and worship that one true God and Him only. I would like for you to notice with, with me tonight Naaman's prestigious, remarkable resume. First of all, I'll put it in my words, and then I'll read it just as it is in the Scripture. The Bible said he had an illustrious office. He had pull, and he had favor with the political arena. But this did not qualify him, but rather appears to have distracted deterred him and almost disqualified him from receiving his much needed miracle. His positioning, his perception, and his posture almost preempted his miracle. Don't mess it up. It will happen if you just don't mess it up. And Naaman came very, very close to messing up his miracle from God. Notice what the Bible said now. The Bible said he was the captain of the king's host. The Bible said he was great with his master. The Bible said he was honorable. The Bible said he enjoyed victories. The Bible said he was a mighty man of valor. But Naaman's challenge was to comprehend that everyone stands on equal ground when a miracle is mandated. Because the Bible said, except a man be born again of the water and the spirit, he cannot. And the Bible says to repent and to be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost let me tell you what I feel by spiritual experience by national observation and by revelation of prayer is fixing and already is beginning to happen in our movement and in our church. God is getting ready to bring into this church people from every strata of life in greater dimensions than we've ever known. The devil's worst nightmare has happened the church has come out from behind the bushes. 
What the devil has feared for years is happening right now. He can't hide us anymore. He can't contain us anymore. It's too late now. This is out. But we've got to be careful that we don't mess it up. Here's what I want to tell you right now. We are getting ready to see converted to our church the wealthiest people in America. Have you got a problem with that? You see, for years, we've always preached. Anybody can come to our church. But if you'll analyze that, you'll have to be honest to say that when that statement is made, it's always condescending. It's always looking down. We're talking about the down and out, the prostitute, the poor, the homeless. Anybody can come, and that's true. But let me tell you, that statement doesn't just go down. It goes up. And I want to tell you why I predict this and feel it's going to happen. Because poor folks are always thinking another buck is the answer. They're always thinking a bigger car is the answer. They're always thinking a larger house is the answer. But wealthy folks have already been there. They've already done that. And now they're ready for this. And this is that. That was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days God would pour out his spirit. Somebody shout, hallelujah. hallelujah. But we've got to be seated. We've got to be careful that we don't mess it up. Don't be out in the parking lot rubbing your hand down their car and acting like you're some poor, pitiful, second-class citizen. Don't be thinking just because they got money they're the pastor's buddy. And don't let jealousy and envy come into the church. Everybody needs this. Everybody ought to have a chance at this. Don't mess it up. There used to be a guy in a church in Texas where I preached revival. He was famous for this. He'd always come out to church and shake your hand. He'd say, he'd stick it out and say, give me five. You thought he meant your fingers. But then he would say, give me five to keep me alive. He really meant loan me five dollars. I want to ask you, men, can wealthy folks come to our church and not be bummed to death? Can wealthy people sit on our pews without folks trying to hit them up to pay their rent? 
The church has got to be prepared to realize they may have something of this world, but what they're going to get here is out of this world, and money can't buy it. Naaman had to learn something. There are no shortcuts. There are no strings to pull. There are no prestigious preferences. If you're going to get the miracle, it will come out of the mouth of the man of God. It is still, thus saith the word of God. Nobody is exempted from the need of an apostolic minister in their life. I want to reestablish the biblical truth that is under assault in this hour, and that is this, that God hath chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Brethren, it's time to appreciate preaching like you've never appreciated preaching. Old-fashioned preaching is under cynical, critical attack. A lot of places are even taking the pulpits out and putting discussion tables in. I still believe we need a pulpit. I still believe that when a man preaches, he should stand here in a pulpit because preaching is what pulls people from the pit. And it's time for you to get on your feet and let your pastor know you love the preaching of the Word of God. You stand behind the preaching of the Word of God. Thank God for dramas, but they don't save. Thank God for choirs, but they don't save. Thank God for quartets, but they don't save. We need an appreciation for old-fashioned preaching. Shout preach it. Shout preach it. You may be seated. Don't ever doubt it. It's not our choir that makes us different. It's not our architectural buildings that make us different. It's not our stained glass window or our thick carpet that makes us different. It's a man that walks to that pulpit and and something comes on him. Something comes on him. In the Old Testament, there's a fictitious misnomer that when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he had a rope on him. You ever heard that? 
that when he went in there to the ministry, they tied a rope on him. So that if he died in there, they could pull him out. What'd you say? No man's ever been shot or killed washing the dishes? Well, to my knowledge, being in the Holy Ghost has never killed anybody. So what's the rope about? Being in the presence of God. There was no such thing as that fictitious rope put on the ministry. But it seems like humanity has always wanted to harness the preacher. Folks have always wanted to put a rope on the preacher. I ask you, brethren that are at this conference tonight, in the name of Jesus, if you want revival, get your ropes off your pastor. Loose that man of God and let him preach. And revival will break out in your church. Because to have revival, you got to have revival. Now notice with me. Notice how Naaman approached the man of God. I think it means something that wouldn't have been put in there. The Bible couldn't be but so thick. And the scripture said he came with his horses. And he came with his chariot. It would be a prototype of today like saying he pulled up with his limousine and his entourage. It was like a presidential motorcade. But the prophet of God was the man. Woo! Because the man of God was not intimidated. The man of God was not impressed. And the man of God wasn't awed. He did not change his message because who was at the door? Brothers, our message will do for the poor man. It'll do for the rich man. It'll do for the successful man. It'll do for the failing man. Shout after me, don't mess with the message. I've done a good bit of traveling, and those that are here tonight that have traveled will understand what I'm about to say. Your relativity to significance and importance is exposed and revealed by who picks you up at the airport when you land. Here a while back, I had Brother Crawford Coon to come to Raleigh. He was going to preach for us, but a death occurred, and he, he couldn't stay and preach. He just came in and left the next morning. But when I went out to the airport to meet him, I noticed there was a, a limousine chauffeur standing down there, like they do a lot of times at the airport, and he had this sign in front of him so that when they came off of the plane, came down the, the escalator there, he was standing at the bottom with his sign. 
he was sent to pick up somebody that he didn't really know what they looked like or who they were. So they, they do this all the time at the airport. You've been there. You've seen it. It'll have the person's name on there. And they just stand there. So I got there a little early, and I, I like living. And I think living's fun. So I went over to the information counter, and I said, can I borrow a pen and a piece of paper? And so I took that pen and paper, and I wrote on there, Bishop Coon. And I stood at the bottom of the escalator. I wanted him to know I thought somebody was coming to town. But the prophet of God was the man. He didn't even get up and go outside. The Bible said he sent his messenger. And if we were to use human street terminology, we would say, that ticked Naaman off. Who does he think he is? You better go back there and tell him who's at the door. The man of God said, messenger, you just go tell him. It don't matter who he is or what he is. If he's going to get what he wants, he'll have to do what I say. send them to us for one reason this is the truth and they are ready for the truth and when they get here they need to hear the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth So I want to preach a few minutes about mistakes that Naaman made that could have cost him his miracle. He almost missed it. He flirted with disaster. And he almost missed it. God's got a miracle for this United Pentecostal Church. And I don't want to miss it. The first mistake Naaman made was, the Bible said that Naaman was wroth with the man of God. That's a mistake. If you get mad with a preacher, you jeopardize your miracle. Because I don't know where I heard it, but it sounds like something Brother Tenney would say, so I'll probably be safe to say he said it. Now, there used to be a lady who came to our church. She would say to me, everything she said was like you said. And my wife would stand there and say, you know, I just don't think you said that. Everything she said was well, like you say. You know? And a lot of that I didn't say. But you can't hardly go wrong with stuff like this if you'll credit to him. But I'll just tell you this. You can't be right with the master. And wrong with the pastor. You can't be right. Now don't get quiet because I'm preaching good. You can't get you can't be right 
with the master and wrong with your pastor. If you want to have revival, get right with your pastor. And let me just tiptoe here just a minute. You know I tiptoe, right? Let me just tiptoe in here a little farther. If you really want to know how much you love your pastor, can he call your kid down from the pulpit without you being mad? Can he discipline your young person without you getting all mad and taking the side of a rebellious teenager? You better stand with the pastor because God is going to always be on the side of the pastor. I evangelized for seven years. And my goal of evangelism as an evangelist was a little different than most evangelists. This is how I discerned whether I had been a success or not. It wasn't how many prayed through to the Holy Ghost. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not the real criteria that I had in mind. My criteria was this. If when I leave here, this church will love their pastor more. I've been a success. And at the same time, without the pastors knowing it, Brother Dean, I worked on them and tried to get them to love their church more. Because if I could get the pastor to love the church and the church to love the pastor, the devil hasn't got a chance. Jesus felt that way as well. Listen to the word of God. I read to you out of Luke 23, verse 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. I read Luke 23, and now I read verse 9. Then he questioned with him in many words, Herod questioned Jesus with many words. But the Bible said he answered him nothing. Everybody shout nothing. Herod wanted to see Jesus. He wanted a spiritual sideshow. He wanted a miracle. But the Bible said Jesus answered him nothing because this is the same Herod that killed John the Baptist. And Jesus will not perform for preacher killers. give miracles to preacher killers he would not even talk to Herod 
Although Herod wanted to see some kind of a miracle, Jesus had nothing for him because he will never step around the ministry and give somebody a miracle. If you need a miracle, it can come. Whoa, now, fixing to preach a little bit right now. You don't have to go to a sideshow circus preacher somewhere. If you live right and love your pastor, God will heal you in your church. Matter of fact, he's not going to step around your pastor and give you a miracle. If you want to hear from God, go to church next Sunday morning. If you want a miracle revival, be in your prayer room next Sunday night. It'll happen where you are. Hold on just a minute. Keep running, brother. We are in violation of Scripture right now. Keep running, brother. Don't stop. It's going to make it tough on somebody because he's doing the mile run. Listen to me. We're out, of, we're out of the Scripture right now. Hey, brother, if you got any wind, keep running. If you don't have any wind, be like that horse. Just do it on heart. Because the Bible says, come by here one more time. Nobody should run by themselves. It said rejoice with them that rejoice. Re Nobody should shout by themselves. Somebody needs to do it with them. It's all right to like other preachers, but let me tell you, your greatest preacher, your most popular preacher, should be your own pastor. Go home and tell your pastor, you demand. You may be seated. Remain standing because I'm fixing to hit you with a strong one right now. And I'd like to preach some more on this tonight because I just got started. But, hear me, if you want to be the man, go home and tell your wife, 
the issue is settled. I'm on my pastor's side. And don't let some out of whack, sorehead woman turn you against your pastor. Tell her, honey, I love you, but we're going to do what the pastor says. Honey, I love you, but we're going to stand with the pastor. Everybody shout men's conference. I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say what I've heard, what I've seen, and what I believe. Nine out of ten problems in the church can be traced back to a woman. But there probably would never have been a problem with a woman if there had been a man there. That would have stood up and said, I love you, but you're wrong. I love you, but we're not going to do that. I love you, but the pastor is right. One more statement. And my brother, you may wear the pants in your family, but you ain't the man if you can't stand up to your wife. You ain't the man, you the whip. We're going to prayer meeting. We're not having makeup in this house. We're not having jewelry in this house. We're not having television in this house. We're going to be the man. Let me hurry to a few more points. The second thing he did that almost cost him his miracle is he anticipated preferential treatment. He anticipated preferential treatment just because of who he was. Give whatever you want to to your church. Do whatever you want to to your church in the measure of sacrificial giving. But don't ever expect preferential treatment because of what you do. God have mercy on you. Come here, brother. Brother Kevin Cox, I wouldn't do this to Brother Tenny. The lightning might hit me. But don't get your pastor's hand behind his back. Is that as far as it will go? Bad shoulder. Too much out front. He's got a he's got a bad back. No, I don't either. I'm trying to help you, man. Don't get your pastor's arm behind his back 
just because you gave thousands of dollars that you ought to be free from the standards of the church. Or that your kids ought to get preferential treatment just because you dropped the big bucks in the plate. You'll mess your miracle up if you anticipate preferential treatment. The third thing he did was that almost messed up his miracle. The Bible said he went away. He ran from the message. You can run from it, but when you come back, it'll be the same. Settle the issue here now, brothers. There is no shortcut to the miracle power of God. The next thing he did was he second-guessed the man of God for a strategy for the supernatural. The man of God said, go dip seven times in the muddy river of Jordan. Naaman said, I don't like that plan. I went to school too. You ain't the only brain in this church. That's ignorant. Are not the rivers of Damascus better? Jordan's muddy. It's nasty. It's undesirable. What's wrong with, let's go to Damascus. Go there if you want to. But there's only healing in Jordan. <laughs> do it like you want to do it. But if you want deliverance, it's going to be God's way. I wonder what was going on in the minds of some of the Israelites when the battle was raging and blood was flowing, the heads were rolling and bodies were flying and people were screaming and crying and Israel was in a real conflict when all of a sudden Moses, their great leader, slides out of the battle, slips around the side of the mountain and goes up on top and just lifts his hand. What's with this? What kind of a general is this? The battle is down here in the valley. And Moses skirts up the side of the mountain and he's got his hands up. Where is our fearless leader? He's standing up there with his hands raised. But I don't read anywhere in the scripture where there was a coup d'etat where there was a quick overthrow of the government there. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where somebody said, what is wrong with our, let's vote him out. What is Moses doing? The reason they won the victory is because they freed Moses to obey God, which was contradictory to what they were doing. Don't expect your leader to do what you're doing. You do what you do. He'll do what God wants him to do, and we'll have revival. And I'll tell you something else, too. There were two guys in the battle, and all of a sudden, one of them got a word from the Lord. I don't know which one it was, but one of them evidently said to the others, 
He said, hey, look, I noticed something. Have you noticed, Aaron, have you noticed that every time Moses' hands go down, we start losing? Somebody just saw that. Brothers, would you come to church with your eyes open and just start seeing some stuff? One of them said to the other, watch this, watch this. I'm going to prove it to you. You be Moses, you be other, you tell him something. Watch him, watch him. Aaron and her. Watch him. Look at the battle. See how they're prevailing against us right now? I've noticed that every time his hands go down, we start losing. If you really want the victory, make sure your pastor's hands stay up. They've got to stay up. I wonder... How many Israelites died because Moses' hands were down? You want to know why you're not doing this and you're not why, why you're not seeing that? It may be your pastor's hands are down and you haven't been spiritual enough to notice it. But they said, let's get up there. And one grabbed one hand and the other grabbed another hand. And they held his hands up. And as long as his hands were up, God gave them victory. Keep your pastor's hands up and God will give you victory. I'll quickly hurry through these other points. Another reason he almost messed his miracle up is he was proud. He was proud. The key to 2 Chronicles 7.14 is not just prayer. It's humble themselves. I just wonder what could have happened a while ago when the liberty broke loose in here. If some of you hadn't have been so proud. Because God told some of you to do something a while ago. But the reason you didn't do it is because you're proud. And one reason you're proud is because this. I noticed this in worship. If you don't worship, soon you won't worship. And then you can't worship. And there's people sitting beside you that haven't seen you do what you felt like doing just a while ago. But you didn't do it because you thought, what will they think? And your proud, your pride, haughty attitude kept you on that pew. Turn around to a man beside you and say, Loose me and let me go. I gotta put my pride down or I'll mess up my miracle. If you don't conquer your pride, 
you will mess up your miracle. that man of God right there. Come on, preachers. Let's put our pride down and let's lead the church in worship. Let's don't dictate it. Let's don't demand it. Let's do it! You may be seated. Just run on back to your pew. Because I think right here tonight, information is more important than inspiration. I'll quickly move to conclusion. I don't want us to miss this miracle. Notice this. Naaman was blinded by visions of greatness and guided by big dreams because it was said to him, Sir, if he would have asked you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? But what, what almost cost Naaman his miracle is this. He didn't understand that if you're too great to do the little things, you are too little to do the great things. Nobody ought to be paid to mow the lawn at your church. If you got a lawnmower, the grass should never need mowing at your church. What's wrong? Y'all think you're too great for the little thing? The commode should never be running over in the floor and somebody telling the pastor about it. The building should not be need a painting and nobody wanting to paint it. If you are too great to do the little things, you are too little to ever do the great things. the church should never pay a painter. If you're a plumber, the church should never hire a plumber. If you're an electrician, the church should never hire an electrician. If you're a landscaper, your pastor's yard should be taken care of. 
the campground too. You may be seated. Let me tell you like one preacher told you right then. Now don't go getting tight on me right now. He said, because I'm just lathering you right now. I haven't started shaving you yet. I said it's time for men to be the man. You shouldn't charge your pastor for your services. You shouldn't charge your church for your services. If you're too great to do the little things around the church, don't ask for the microphone. Naaman is about to walk away from his miracle. And a servant. This is Naaman, I'm the servant. He's in a huff. He's about to storm out. His face is red. His blood pressure is up. But the servant loves his master. And the servant says, this cannot be. Because this is the only place you can get what you need. I cannot stand here and watch my master walk off doomed to die. Because there was no cure for that. So I can see that servant in a bind. He doesn't really know what to do, but he knows what needs to be done. And he says, Sir, sir, excuse me, sir. Pardon me, sir. Because see, he knows one wrong word. You understand that? If he gets out of order. So he said, Sir, uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, your honorable master, sir, uh, sir, excuse me for this, but sir, if he would have asked you to do some great thing, what if some might have done it? Then, sir, excuse me, watch the video. <laughs> sir, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm not trying to be a smart like but what's the deal with just jumping in there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's over, sir. It won't last. What's the deal? What's the deal with just a little holiness? What's the deal with just a few standards? What's the deal with 10% of your income? What's the deal with Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? What's the deal with a little bit of prayer and some fasting? Are you going to let that rob you of a miracle? Remain standing. Brothers, if you understand 
You can't get this just anywhere. Then what's the deal? And the Bible says, Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. But really, too, it could be said according to the saying of the servant. Because servants don't have any problem with just obeying. Servants don't have any problem with just doing what they're told to do. And servants are the ones who see the miracle. And then if you will notice, after he was cleansed, Naaman said to the prophet of God, I pray thee, take a blessing. Of thy servant. Forget that motorcade stuff. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> no, that ain't it. I'm your servant. The thing that brought the prodigal back was not the father's house or the father, but his thoughts were upon the servants. It was the fact that there were still some servants in the house. He left the house saying, give me. He came back saying, make me. He went away a rebellious son. He came back a humble And in John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle, which would be the foundation for all miracles, Jesus turned the water into wine. And the Bible said the governor did not know. And the Bible said the guests did not know. But the servants did know. If you want a miracle from God, you've got to be a servant. And the Spirit is calling men to spiritual servitude. The prodigal said, make me as one of thy hired servants. Forget my name is the same as yours. Forget who I am. Let me be a servant. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? It's the servants that see the miracle. The Holy Ghost is calling men 
the spiritual servitude. I'm going to give an altar call right now, but I'm not going to ask how many would like to be pastors to come. I'm not going to say how many would like to be evangelists to come. I'm not going to say how many would like to sing lead in the choir come. I'm not going to say how many would like to be the deacon or the elder, but you know where I'm going. And here you come. I want to be a servant. Make me a servant, Lord. Because servants, servants are the ones that see the miracles. Before you leave here tonight, if your pastor's here, I want you to go to him after prayer and say, I want to be your servant. What can I do to serve you, Pastor? What can I do to serve God, Pastor? I want to be your servant. And I want to serve God. Lift your hands right now and ask the Lord. Give me a servant's heart.